Hey, and welcome to The Rod Kirby Show, the show and podcast that covers the ever-expanding world of film and entertainment. I got a quick question for you. If I told you I was going to produce 12 Western feature films in only 12 months, would you believe me? Well, that's exactly what filmmaker Travis Mills did in 2020. With budgets ranging from $1,200 all the way up to $50,000, he successfully produced each film with the final movie, Heart of the Gun, debuting on December 18th. Join us as we discuss Travis's inspiration for the 12 Westerns project, some of the many challenges of producing each film, Travis's movie making tips, and much more on today's episode of The Rod Kirby Show. 12 Westerns in 12 months. This is incredible. And I'm so excited to bring on the filmmaker that put all this together, Mr. Travis Mills. Travis, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me on, Rod. I appreciate it. Man, I don't, okay, I don't know where to start because uh, when I was, um, so I was scrolling through Facebook and first of all, a big shout out to my friend, Jerron Lockridge, another filmmaker uh, who actually said he mentioned you and I was like, there's no way anyone can produce, you know, 12 Western feature films in 12 months. It's, it's not possible. It can't be possible. It's got to be a trick. So I looked you up and saw that you actually have a huge community. Uh, on Facebook and on YouTube and on Twitter and other places where you actually did this and during a pandemic. And that's incredible. So what is the story behind this amazing project? Well, it definitely was a crazy one and got crazier as it went along. But basically mm -hmm. back in 2013, I made a project called 52 Films in 52 Weeks. Now these were short films. They were all based off of public domain uh, short stories by Edgar Allan Poe, James Joyce, and that was kind of a training ground. After mm -hmm. that, you know, I'd already made probably six features at that point. Um, hmm. So after that, I said, well, what's next? What's the next big project? 12 feature films, one every month. But then I oh, thought yeah. that's not hard enough because I'm nuts. Because um, <laughs> so, I thought, you know, they could always be, all be like one location, all set in a hotel room kind of features, you know, uh, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with those, but not very challenging. So what genre would be interesting to pick? And the Western came to mind because uh -huh. I've always loved Westerns. And uh, this would be a good chance to show it, to see if you could make 12 very different kinds of Westerns, too. And right. That's one thing I'm most proud of from the project is not just completing the films, but the fact that they're all very different from each other. Uh, no film is alike. So yeah. so that's really cool. And we picked. Um, such a great year for it. I'm, I'm a lucky person, you know, pick, <laughs> right. pick the year that the world almost ended with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't see that kind of, and it certainly changed the nature of the project, but we stuck to it. Um, a lot of people said that we should quit and, yeah. uh, you know, um, but we, we didn't, we didn't quit. We finished it. Wow. Wow. So, so you have already been, I mean, a pretty experienced filmmaker uh, when you started this project. And, you know, a little birdie told me that you, that not only did you choose Westerns because, you know, it's something that you enjoy, but you chose Westerns because you're bat crap crazy about Westerns and you really love them, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's such a cool genre. You know? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's um, just there's so many different things you can do with it. Western musicals, horror Westerns, mm -hmm. uh, comedy Westerns. You can do something more traditional and you can do something more modern. And we did, we did it all. The first one was actually Bastard's Crossing. In oh, Bastard's Crossing. Okay. Uh, 
So when you first started mm-hmm. this project uh, and you had you already had the script in place or did you uh, take time to write the, the script, develop it, and then you went into production in 2020? No. So we had several of the scripts already in place um, during 2019. Mm-hmm. Bastards Crossing was by a friend of mine named Joe Peavy, uh, who I was a retired police officer, kind of caught the bug for movies when working on my Dixie Mafia movie as a police consultant. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up writing a couple plays, one of which I still am supposed to make. It's a barrel racing movie that would have been one of the 12 Westerns, but you oh. can't really do a live sports movie during COVID, you know? Right. Um, so long story short, he wrote this script, Bastards Crossing, um, because I wanted a simple Western set mm-hmm. in one location uh, and it ended up being nothing um, but you know it was it was it was not simple at all um, uh-huh. there was an enormous amount of weather we had to deal with in January in Mississippi mm-hmm. and uh, stagecoaches and wagons and all kinds of stuff uh, but that was the first film that really kicked it off and then most of the scripts were in place but because of COVID we had to move projects and ditch projects and create new ones that could mm-hmm. be made on a lower budget with a smaller team during the pandemic. Right. So you you had to move pretty or be you know stay pretty flexible during the pandemic. Um, what other challenges came up throughout production? I guess I, I know. I mean, it's got to be crazy. You've got horses, you've got costumes, you've got all these different props. Um, how did it all come together? And what was your, your biggest challenge um, for the different twelve productions that you had? Oh, man, the challenges were so many. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I write about them in, the, in a journal that I'm now publishing as a book um, okay. in a couple weeks, actually, Amazon. Awesome. And it'll kind of go into what I experienced throughout the year because I was keeping this journal. Mm-hmm. And um, the challenges were everything from, you know, porta potties, right? You know what I mean? People, <laughs> <Right. laughs> people have a place to poop. Um, mm-hmm. to uh, finding funding for the movies right. and uh, and everything in between. Um, uh, troublesome actors, people mm. flaking, yeah. uh, you know, um, dealing with extreme heat when we got into the summertime, you know, um, all kinds of different things came our way. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no one biggest challenge, um, but I mean, we even, uh, you know, had tragedy. We had someone commit suicide after oh. one of our productions. So it wow. was a very uh, wild year full of mm-hmm. everything from love to death and yeah. everything in between. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, every film was also not just a different story, but such a different animal. Mm-hmm. Some of them were made for $10,000 or less. Others were made for $50,000 or a little bit more. Mm. So every film kind of was own beast so to speak mm-hmm. wow well you know in in staying within the uh the different challenges that you had um filmmaker jerron lockridge when we ask you he says um he says how did you keep your focus and didn't experience any burnout throughout the span of some two plus years of development and production of your 12 westerns yeah that's a good question. It's interesting that one of my cinematographers, Jared, brought that up during 2019 about mm-hmm. whenever he talked about the project with friends and thought about it himself, he thought about burning out being right. a problem. That really wasn't a problem during 2020 because mm-hmm. there's just so much momentum and adrenaline when you're making films. Right. And that's what it was for me. 
what it always is. And it was like a nonstop production. I mean, I would wrap one film, maybe at most have a week in between to before I made the next film. Now that mm -hmm. week or the days off in between films were not vacation days or even break days. Right. These were work days prepping for the next film. It right. was just yeah. nonstop. It never ended. And I, you know, didn't really catch my breath. Um, and I still haven't to some degree. <laughs> so in terms of focus and burning out, it's actually more this year. See this year working on post-production for the movies mm. and yeah. releasing them every month has been actually more difficult because it doesn't have the adrenaline rush oh, yeah. of being on set and making a film, but you still have to be as disciplined. So really I still have not caught my breath and, mm -hmm. and I will finally be able to, after I premiere um, the last of the 12 uh, this December, you know. And I believe the last of the 12 is Heart of the Gun, right? Yes, that's correct. Yep. Okay. Heart of the Gun is making its debut. And is it Temp Tempe? Arizona is Temp. How do you pronounce that? Tempe. Tempe. <laughs> Tempe, Arizona. Well, let's take a look at yeah. Heart of the Gun, the trailer for Heart of the Gun, and we'll come back and discuss. So this is your trailer for Heart of the Gun. Let's take a look. Awesome. That looks pretty awesome, man. That's that's great. Uh, well, how, yeah, how do you I'm feel uh, watching that? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's my own work, so it's always mixed feelings watching it. But mm -hmm. uh, this is a film that is very personal to me. I wrote the script in 2014 mm -hmm. um, and put a lot of my own self into into the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and so probably my most personal movie to date um, sort of disguised as a, a violent romantic Western. And so I put a lot into it, put all my energy into also the last of the 12. And mm -hmm. I think uh, as I get close to showing it, for me, it feels like a culmination of everything I've done over the last 10 years. Everything I've learned um, is kind of all in this movie. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, I'm really excited and happy for you, not only just because of this amazing scope of the project, but that you finally get to just put it all out there and get that monkey off your, off your back. <laughs> you know, so I know as, a, as yeah. a filmmaker, there's so much that goes into every project. Everything is personal. Everything has a piece of you in it. Um, it, it. It can be draining. You know, it can totally be draining on on you and people around you. So I'm just happy that you're able to uh, just kind of release it, you know. Yeah, it'll be good to be done and then to kind of move forward and, and see what the next step is, you know. Mm -hmm. 
And what do you think um, might that next step be? Any plans that you're working on? Will there be 52 feature films in 52 weeks? <laughs> no way. No way. I, I think I'm done challenging myself in terms of, you know, quantity and a specific mm -hmm. amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't interest me as much anymore. I've kind of done it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I really started to enjoy acting a lot while I was making the 12 Westerns. My, my roles in the movies kind of grew mm -hmm. as the film progressed. And I'd like to explore that more. Um, yeah. I'd also like to finally take some time to write um, both fiction, potentially novels and screenplays. You know, all of my writing has been quite rushed on a deadline, but mm -hmm. I'd like to take some more maybe learn some lessons from the films I've made and write better screenplays for future films. And then finally, you know, I, I recently worked on a movie in Montana with some mm -hmm. pretty great people, uh, producer Dallas Sonye, who produced Bone Tomahawk and uh, Gina Carano from Haywire and The Mandalorian. Um, awesome. So I got to help produce that, kind of work as a Western consultant, act in mm -hmm. it, do some stunts in it. So that, mm. you know, maybe I'll Maybe I'll work on other people's films, uh, westerns and otherwise. We'll see. It's a it's a bit different once um, you're not in charge over the production. You know, it's like you can just go in, kind of do your job, and kind of go home, right? Yeah, it's super different. It, it's both easier in some respects and more difficult in others. You know, I, mm -hmm. I'm very used to being a boss, right. very used to having the responsibility on my shoulders. And there's something nice about that because at the end of the day, you know that you did your best and that was reflected mm -hmm. um, where when other people are in charge, you really have to trust and respect them. And right. one thing I've learned over the years is really shouldn't be working with people that you don't fully trust and respect. Um, even if you disagree with them, you know, I've had mm -hmm. people work with me who I think are constantly doubtful of the decisions I'm making and there's nothing wrong with that, but it mm -hmm. just means they should go work with someone else, you know? And mm -hmm. likewise, I, I wouldn't work a second time with someone who I didn't respect even when I disagreed with them. Makes sense. Now, I think yeah. one thing that uh, really impressed me with the project overall, I mean, of course, the, the scope of the project is is amazing, you know, that you even got you know this far and you actually did it. Um, but what was really impressive to me was the amount of community that you built around it and how people in the community, you know, really uh, assisted you and supported you. And, you know, not only just money, but also in supplies and horses and all this. I, I just hear a lot of different stories about, about that. What can you say about the community that's around your, your films and your projects? How did they really lift you up during uh, the pandemic and the production of 12 Westerns in 12 months? Well, you know, that's really started a long ways back, even before the 12 Westerns. Um, mm -hmm. My movies have always been very community-based, whether they were in Arizona or Mississippi, mm -hmm. and really relied on the community to make it happen, whether it was someone cooking us food or providing lodging or right. being volunteers. Um, at the same time, basically, you know, most of my films have featured local actors, some mm -hmm. of which have never acted before. Um, mm -hmm. In some of the 12 Westerns, people either have been acting for years and had their first lead role ever, or right. maybe they have been a background extra and finally got a couple speaking parts, or I literally just cast them off the street from an audition and, and mm -hmm. fulfilled kind of a 
bucket list item. Uh, the lead actress and the woman who robbed the stagecoach never acted a day in her life. Really? So, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Um, yeah. So I've loved doing that both before the 12 Westerns and here. So it's kind of a, a give and take with the community is, mm-hmm. is them putting a lot of love and support into the projects and then sort of giving these opportunities back to them um, that they would most likely never have on a bigger budgeted film. Right. Um, it definitely, the 12 Westerns wouldn't have been possible without a lot of people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredible. I don't, I don't really know. One thing I've learned over the years is that it's very hard to sustain that community. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it kind of comes and goes with the project. So mm-hmm. If you're working in Mississippi, um, might be there for that film but then the next time you come back you have to find new people um right. so it's not something that's necessarily sustainable but at the same time it's something i'm very grateful for mm-hmm. wow uh, you mentioned uh the woman that brought, who I, who robbed the stagecoach uh that mm-hmm. film was shot on iphone right yes it was the first western feature length western at least to be shot on an iphone wow uh, was that a um, intentional decision or was it budgetary in, in thought? What made you do it on iPhone? No, it was it was intentional. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to shoot one of the 12 on an iPhone. I knew that okay. um, from the start. I'd done mm-hmm. music videos and, and maybe you know some behind the scenes, obviously, on an iPhone. Um, but I thought it would be intriguing. And most of my cinematographers thought it was a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> of course. But I, I insisted that it was very, very uh, interesting experiment. I mm-hmm. kept looking for the right story to do it. And a couple of the other Westerns, I thought maybe this is it, maybe that's it. But then finally the story of Pearl Hart seemed like the right one because anyone who's familiar with what's called the French new wave um, from the sixties where kind of these French filmmakers broke all the rules, used handheld cameras on the right. streets for the first time. It has an immediacy um, mm-hmm. that I wanted to capture with the Pearl Hart movie with her story and the iPhone felt like the right tool for that because my hope was that we would get a feeling like we were really there mm-hmm. um, and, and it would have a less polish feeling and more of a raw uh, type of vibe to it. Hmm. Well, let's take a look at um, the trailer for that because uh, I really want folks okay. to see how great a job you did with an iPhone and um, and what before we even look at that, what iPhone was it? Was it iPhone 6, 7, 8, 9, 10? No, this time, this is the 11 Pro Max. 11 Pro 11 Max. Pro Max with the three lenses. Yep. Okay. Well, let's take a look at this trailer and then we'll come back and, and talk about it. So, this is the woman who robbed the, the stagecoach. Buffalo girls, won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight. Come out tonight, oh Buffalo girls. Won't you come out tonight and we'll dance by the light of the moon. As I was walking down the street, down the street, oh, down. Street. A pretty little gal I chanced to meet and we danced by the light of the moon. Buffalo gals, 
Won't you come out tonight? Come out tonight, oh, come out tonight, Buffalo gals. Won't you come out tonight? And we'll dance by the light of the moon. All right. That's cool, man. It's awesome. So with the yeah. the uh, the iPhone, I mean, um, did you have any particularly um, what well, any special equipment that you use, or any apps that you use that you uh, or any other tools that made production easy or easier? So yeah, we use the Filmic Pro app, and mm -hmm. that's um, what they used on the movie Tangerine, which went right. to Sundance, which is mm -hmm. kind of the film that really, at least on a on a wide level exposed filmmakers to the idea of using an iPhone on a feature film. Mm -hmm. um, so I started using Filmic Pro. It, it allows you to shoot in 24 frames a second. Um, it allows you to do control focus, control exposure. Mm -hmm. um, beyond that, though, we decided that we really didn't want to rig the iPhone out because sometimes they you do so, filmmakers do so to the point where it's like, why aren't you just using a regular camera? Right. Um, yeah. I wanted use it bare bones with the $8 app um, just to show people it's like, this is what you can actually do with the phone that's in your pocket, not mm -hmm. spend another two $500 um, on extra stuff to make your phone cool. Um, just that you can do it with your phone. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's pretty impressive, man. And with all the, the films you mentioned that, um, that you had budgets as low as a thousand dollars and as high as fifty thousand was that correct? Yeah, the lowest budget one was uh, twelve hundred dollars. My stimulus check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you see where that money went? It went right on the screen. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it did. Every every dollar. Were there any uh, particular um, uh, strategies that you employed for for fundraising? I mean, I, I saw that you you ran a uh, GoFundMe for production, for general production? I mean, were there other things that you did? Were there investors involved? Were there um, other smaller fundraisers that you did? What what kind of things did you do to kind of raise the budget for each project? The GoFundMe, you know, we ended up raising only about, I think, $20,000 during the entire project. So, mm -hmm. you know, very little of that got put into the budgets, you know, spread out a little bit here and there. Um, mm -hmm. but most of the money came from investors, both okay. investors that I had worked with before on mm -hmm. films like blood country, and I was able to make their money back and then they reinvested in this and other films. Um, and then also new investors that I'd never worked mm -hmm. with before finding them along the way. Right. Um, so that's probably remains the hardest thing about making independent movies, um, you know, self sort of produced independent movies. It's finding the money. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, it was difficult. And then some of the films, some of the smaller budgeted films, I had to fund them myself out right. of pocket. Um, I would pay myself a little bit from one Western so that I could fund the next one. Right. Um, you know, and add it all up. Um, but yeah, it was, it was difficult. Um, but it's, it's also a rewarding process to, to basically have these people trust you with their mm -hmm. money. And then, and then to, um, you know, start to see some of that money come back as you release the movies. And, and hopefully that continues more and more. And, and that most, if not all of the films end up being profitable. 
Right. And what's your uh, distribution strategy for, for each film? Are, are you doing, uh, I know that a couple of them are on Amazon right now, right? Yeah. So for years I've been using Amazon video direct, which okay. allows filmmakers to get your work on yourself without mm -hmm. a distributor. Um, now that was lucrative, um, you know, back in 2017, 2018, um, mm -hmm. you could actually make a lot of money on Amazon video direct. Um, nowadays it's much more difficult. Um, hmm. Amazon has kind of changed what they pay filmmakers, which is regrettable. I yeah. still use it. Um, most of the movies I keep only rent and purchase. I don't put them on prime for free because mm -hmm. you literally get paid a penny for every hour. Your movie is streamed most oh, wow. of the time, which means that even if you get streamed a hundred thousand hours, which is a yeah. lot of strangers watching your movie, then you only get a thousand dollars. Um, wow. so they've mm -hmm. made it very difficult. Um, mm -hmm. However, there's new new avenues opening up for filmmakers. Like there's a service called Tubi, uh, right. T-U-B-I. It's free, but it's ad-based. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there's no way for filmmakers to get their own content out there. So you do have to go through some kind of distributor or sales agent. Uh, mm -hmm. And I have someone that I've been working with this year to get the content on there. So far, uh, I like working with them. And then I have another person who... Um, who buys my DVD rights, not for all of the movies, but for some of them. Mm -hmm. um, and he getting the movies in Walmart. So example, Texas red, uh, the second of the 12 Westerns that we made in, in Mississippi actually hit Walmart shelves this week. Uh, oh, wow. the first of them. To and um, I went to Walmart today to go find it. <laughs> and at least at the Walmart that I went to, it was sold out. Uh, oh, nice. Empty. Uh, so that's hopefully a good sign. Yeah. I don't make any of that money because I've sold the DVD rights to him, but it's still incredible exposure, uh, yeah. obviously, for your film to meet Walmart. Yeah. Absolutely. So, are you? Um, I assume you're partnering with partnering with uh, you know the, your distributors as well as your sales agents or uh, whoever's on your team to uh, put out your marketing efforts. And um, do you have anything in particular that you're doing to kind of drive awareness to the, the films? Well, I've try to use social media as much as I possibly can and build a community, mm -hmm. especially on Facebook. Um, right. That's where we've had the most support and continuing to try to grow that and learn how to use it better, learn how to use Instagram better. Um, mo that's kind of the base that, you know, when we put a movie out, they, they will initially watch it. However, mm -hmm. and what's necessary for it to do really, really well is for a bunch of strangers to watch it. What I've right. learned with the Western genre is that, there are strangers who will pay for your movie um, on Tubi, Amazon, whatever, because it's a Western, because there's not a whole lot of Westerns being made. Right. And yeah. the people who love them want to see content. So yeah. I've, I saw that with Blood Country back in 2017. I've mm -hmm. seen it so far with Bastards Crossing. Um, you know, people are watching these movies not because they have movie stars in them, but because they are Westerns. Right. Um, I, I don't have a lot of advertising money. So pretty much it's kind of give it an initial boost and then see how it evolves over time with these mm -hmm. distribution partners. They're doing a couple extra things here and there, but what I, a lesson I learned early on with distribution is, you know, these distributors or sales agents take tons of movies, not just your movies, but right. 20, 30 movies at a time. And 
they don't give each film equal um what do you call it attention attention um, yeah they're mm -hmm. gonna follow the movies that do best right yeah they're, they're gonna you know if a film starts to sell well maybe they'll focus on that one but if mm -hmm. another movie's not selling they're not they're gonna let it go by the wayside so i'd really you know hate to say it but i i feel very uh nervous about distribution and distribution deals and 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 i got really screwed on on a past one so i try to no matter what keep some of the rights of my films and like mm -hmm. i say these days i kind of parse it out you know this right. guy can have tubi and hoopla this person can have the dvd rights i'm keeping amazon you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like yeah. i just basically don't put all my eggs in one basket has been exactly my strategy. we'll see how it works over time I think that's smart, man. You, you got to diversify it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, stocks and bonds. You know, you don't just buy one stock and, you know, keep that forever. You diversify your, your portfolio. And I think that's what you're doing. So I think it's going to work out for you. Well, if if you were to uh, to start over, let's say, you know, you said, OK, I'm going to start my filmmaking career all over again, starting right now. Uh, what three things? Just three. I know it's I know there's a lot. <laughs> That could be said, but what three things would you either do differently or uh, who would you bring with you that may be, make a, a different impact in the films that you're going to make? Or how would you you know, go about production differently? Yeah, I think the first thing I would do is when I first started making movies, I didn't necessarily have profit. The film being profitable on the mind as much as uh -huh. I do now or I have in the last five years, mm -hmm. I think I would start from that point even if the film was made for only a thousand dollars i would say i'm going to make it for a thousand dollars i'm going to make that back and then i'm going to get that investor to double down triple down i would have one i would have focused on that from the start right. um i'm very grateful for the people that i've worked with over the years mm -hmm. but one thing that i would kind of advise uh, everyone about getting into this is don't put as much um what do you call it don't put all your energy into the idea of partnerships mm -hmm. or a company a group yeah. um it's it's very likely to change uh, people move they lose mm -hmm. interest uh they start taking things for granted um i've learned that lesson time and time again I, you know running wild films used to be an actual company with five or six members um mm -hmm. now none of those people are involved mm -hmm. um so, you know, you put a lot of time and effort into those things. I wish I had just said, you know, kind of realized things are going to come and go. Um, I'm going to be the constant and I'm yeah. going to focus on the projects and my own um, development and, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, just embrace the partners as they come and go. Um, and then third, um, you know, one thing that I am focused on right now is prep i haven't mm. prepped my projects enough and mm. um i've they've always been a little rushed um yeah. i say hey i've written the script and three months we're gonna shoot it um what i'm interested in doing next is really focusing on prep and i think that's going to help the end product be better um right. i felt that with a project i worked on uh earlier this year called treasure valley Mm -hmm. um, that I just put more attention into the script and prep a script that I didn't write, but just getting ready to make it. And, uh, I could feel the difference on set. 
So that's mm. what I would uh, do if I was starting all over again. I'd put way more um, attention on that. Well, Travis, I'm so excited for you, man, and uh, everything that you're doing with 12 Westerns in 12 months. And I really appreciate you coming on to the show and sharing so much wisdom with us today. That's been awesome, awesome, awesome to have you on here on the show. I want to invite everyone that's watching to head over to his website, to uh, runningwildfilms.com. He's got a holiday sale going on right now. It's now through December 17th. You can go to runningwildfilms.com slash store to check out select films and merchandise yep. over there. Uh, anything particular that you uh, that you want to shout out as far as the, the store? Anything? What's your favorite Western that you produce? Anything that, that people should be looking out for? Oh, I can't pick a favorite. I mean, you know, <laughs> they're like your children. You, right. you They're all have problems and you love every one of them. Um, but yeah, the films are on there. They're on Amazon. They're on Tubi. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them are. Uh, make sure you leave a review if you watch it on Amazon because that's a big part of it um, moving up in Amazon's algorithm. Um, but yeah, you know, I hope everybody just uh, takes <clears throat> some of this. Maybe uh, it helps them on their next project. And, and, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned is don't take no for an answer. Don't mm -hmm. make, make a bunch of excuses. Uh, you can get your movie made. Just go out and do it. I think that's that's the simplest advice. People ask me all the time, you know, how, how do you make a movie? Just go out and do it. And you prove that you can do it on, a, on an iPhone. Yep. And so it's no excuses. You know, it's uh, if you have a story in, in mind or in your heart, get it out there. Well, thank you uh, again for your time, Travis. Really appreciate you coming on the show. I want to thank everyone for watching. You can connect with me, Rod Kirby at rodkirby.com. And also, uh, I want you all to subscribe to our channel on YouTube for more interviews just like this with Mr. Travis Mills. Thank you all, and we will see you next time. Peace out. Hey, filmmaker Rod Kirby here. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If this is your first time listening to The Rod Kirby Show, I want to invite you to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast app or subscribe to our newsletter and be notified of future episodes. You'll find links to our newsletter, the video version of this episode on YouTube, and Travis's films in the show notes below. Coming up, I've got a great interview with Anwar Jameson, a Tennessee-based filmmaker who produced a feature film across two different continents. He shares a lot of great advice, and it's one you don't want to miss. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you guys soon.